0: Wow, it's so wonderful to be able to sing those songs with all of you and to be able to think about those truths that are represented in all those words. We are so blessed to serve an amazing God, and I just got to say it's so wonderful to be a part of this amazing family of His that He has brought together. I had a couple of announcements in regards to our family ministries events. As you know, we had to reschedule our hayride, and, and that is really unfortunate just because of the rain and the weather. And, um, you know, talking about how great a community, a family that we get to share together in Christ, uh, those opportunities are an opportunity to fellowship, to invest, to invite others to be a part of what we enjoy. And we're very sad to see that rain kind of trump our plans. But we had a rain date, and that's this coming Saturday, the 21st of uh, October. And I would be happy to see all of you there and really encourage you, if you don't know uh, where the, the web farm is, to get one of those information cards at any of the welcome desks. And uh, plan on being there with us. But if you're looking at the weather, you might say, Pastor, it looks kind of a lot like two weeks ago. (laughs) It might rain again. What do we do? Well, let me just tell you, we'll be in contact, much like last time. And if we have to make a call and say, we're not going to do this in the rain, we'll let you know. You know, text, email, if you're interested, don't have your information, let us know. We'll make sure to be in contact with you. Uh, But the plan is, we're going to do it anyways. All right? We're going to be here. Now, there's no tractors. For those little ones that are waiting for the tractors, I apologize in advance. Maybe we'll throw a hay bale in the gym. Hopefully you're not allergic. But we're going to do it anyways. Here, same time, um, but just, you know, not the ride part of the fall fun and activity. So stay tuned, please, and just plan on joining us if you would. Also, I want to bring to your attention, because of all this stuff, I'm so thankful for ministries that are beginning and so many things that are happening some of it can be lost in the realities of opportunities to serve, like on um, November 4th. Uh, we've been announcing this, but uh, this is really important. There are some sheets with information on our part. November 4th is our service Saturday, where we get to go and help with needs within our community, and that means within our church, or those that you're aware of that we might be able to help serve in some basic outdoor fall chores. No ladders, no electrical, no plumbing. All right, we've said that. We don't want anyone hurt or harmed. Um, But a lot of folks need some help in this time of year. And so we want to be able to do that. And not just help, but be able to serve together as our family. So it was so beautiful to see families come together, teens, young ones, older, middle-aged, all of us going out last year to help with some very real needs in our relationships. And so I'd encourage you to plan on being with us November 4th, Saturday, here in the gym. Just come on down. We're going to have a table with all the different locations that we can help serve. And you get to decide where you go. Be a list of things in each of those areas, what you want to do. And greatest part is who you get to do it with. So we're not going to tell you where to go and what to do, uh, but we're going to give you opportunities to connect not only with the needs, but with others looking to do it together with you. So please plan on joining us for that. There are information sheets at any of the welcome centers, uh, but also nomination cards. If you know someone who is in need of some help, Maybe you're in need of some help. Please fill out one of those cards, drop it in the drop box, and our caring team is going to be taking point on following up with all those needs. Uh, Maybe there's some other needs that are there as well that we can help out in various ways, but please let us know. Otherwise, um, plan on it. Now, you might be asking, what if it rains then? (laughs) We're going to tackle that, all right? We're going to take that as it comes. We're praying for good weather. We're going to have a plan to help as much as we can, but we would encourage you to be there with us Saturday, November fourth. Um, at this time, we have another special announcement. And Jeff Miller is going to come up, and he has something he wants to share with all of you. And uh, very thankful for his part. Actually, our caring team leader here—this is the face of our caring team. Very thankful for him, all they do. Oh, Thanks, Jeff. Andrew. All
1: right. So, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jeff Miller. I'm the deacon of Caring. Um, another thing that you may not know: this is Pastor Appreciation Month. Now. We don't necessarily need a month. We appreciate our pastors all year round. Um, We know how much you do for us. We know how much extra time you spend. We know how much time in prayer you spend for the entire congregation, and we just appreciate all of that. This is your chance as a congregation to reach out to these pastors, drop them a note, send them a card, give them a, a, a gift, whatever you would want to do, whatever God lays on your heart to do for these pastors. Um, we have boxes out at all of the welcome centers as well. You can drop a card in there. You can mail it. You can give it to Christy. There's multiple ways to do that. Um, then in a couple of weeks, we will present all of those to the pastors and their wives here. But we just want to get this out to you. It's been in your bulletin, but we would ask you to just just pray on this and think about what you would like to say and then do for our pastors. Thank you.
2: Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me <clears throat> to the book of Acts this morning. The book of Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to uh, focus much of our attention today. Before I do that, we did say that there are a number of uh, ABFs that are available to you. I know that Pastor Andrew was out these doors to, to my right, he has a, a, a class focused on family ministry and, and uh, teaching the family how to minister to their children of every generation. Uh, Pastor Ken is just to the left of the chapel as I'm looking out at the chapel where I stand, and he is dealing with connecting all of the doubts with basic biblical doctrine and uh, key, key issues of, of our faith. Uh, Bill Kolb is on that side of the hallway as well. He's in the middle of a study of Genesis. Uh, he's not here today. I think Tom Macbeth is, is teaching on his behalf, but uh, another great class. And then I'll be in the chapel and the chapel during ABF, what we're doing is really taking a, a deeper look at what we speak of here on Sunday mornings and, and, and really dealing with some uh, big issues when it comes to the gospel. And uh, particularly today, we're going to look at some things in that, in that chapel area that have been posed as questions about who, who's in and who's out. But all of those classes are, are built for your benefit, and we encourage you to be a part of that ABF uh, ministry. Again, in Acts chapter 4, we read in verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were preaching or teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you, this Jesus It's the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Father, I pray that you would bless this passage of Scripture in our minds and in the application of this truth. I pray that As we reflect upon some of those critical components of the gospel, that you would begin to connect all of the dots in our minds. And as we connect those dots about the grace and the mercy and the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to all who believe through Scripture alone and Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, may it all be for your glory alone. Remind us as this world has moved further and further away from truth, that there is a truth that sets us free, and that truth is in the person and in the work of our Savior Jesus Christ. So, as we reflect upon this critical time in history, in the beginning of your church in the book of Acts, that that we would understand the connections that Peter is making, and that we would understand that salvation is in Christ alone. Give us clarity on that in our thinking. And may that clarity in our thinking, may our awareness of grace and mercy and peace, may the awareness that you reached into our lives when we were without hope and changed everything yield to greater worship, not just in a Sunday morning service. in every aspect of our lives. Remind us that the gospel changes everything. And may we reflect on the fact that it's all for Your glory. Teach us how to worship as we grasp the depth of the gospel. We pray and prepare us for pushback, for persecution, for accusation, for name calling, for false teachers who slip into your church to twist the truth, undermine this gospel, adding to it and taking away from it. We're in a war. And as a reminder of that war, I pray that you would grant us the hope that you win. But between now and then, there will be troubled and perilous and difficult times. May we hold the line on truth. May we preach the gospel, the only hope to a world in desperate, desperate need, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to take a lot of time to talk about what's happening in the Middle East, but you need to be Paying attention, praying, I'm not going to make this some spiritual lesson and a choosing of sides, but what I do want you to be aware of is, is, is the culture today that is screaming at us that, that someone should be able to punch us and we just have to take it. Someone can be evil to us, and you just have to take it. And as soon as you respond, you're you're all of a sudden the evil one. Everywhere in our culture, that's the reality. Everywhere. We've seen it in our politicians in this clash. What happened was evil, the beheading of children in front of their parents, the rape and pillaging, the gratuitous violence and I've had about enough of those who say well Israel just needs to take it they have a right to defend their border stop it, don't even bring that around me there is evil in this world and assault and light we must respond to that evil we pray for the people we pray for the Americans taken hostage over there And we will not turn this into some spiritual. If you're on this side, it's God's. No, it is evil that needs to be addressed. And how in the world did we get to this place where actors and musicians and sports figures are the ones leading the parade? Use your heads. What a terrible, terrible, terrible situation there. That may lead to something greater. We know the story in Revelation. Right now, it's a matter of survival and response to the evil in the world. What happened there is it'll make you shudder. That's the world we live in. How in the world do we respond to that kind of world? I'm glad you asked. Through the gospel in Christ alone. Who wins this military skirmish is simply who won the military skirmish. But if we're battling evil for the souls of men, the gospel matters, and it, and it matters, doesn't it? And we're going to see in this passage of Scripture the culmination of all the promises of the Old Testament and all of the realities of the New Testament that underscore what we've been talking about for a number of weeks now, that the gospel is in Scripture alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God the Father. Now remember, that is the cry of the Reformation, and they were speaking to particular things. When we read this notion or understand that notion of Scripture alone, We recognize and understand that that sola fido, by faith alone, was the material cause of the Reformation. How does one stand justified before God? By faith alone. But the formal cause of the Reformation was on whose authority? And the authority of the gospel is rooted in the scripture. The scripture determines the gospel. The Scripture determines truth. The Scripture defines the Messiah. The Scripture identifies that Messiah. And the Scripture builds this gospel of hope on that Messiah, Jesus Christ. It is the norming norm. Everything that happens must be run through this grid of the Scripture. And the Scripture has no other norm. It is God's voice into this world. We looked at that promise out of John chapter 16 where even Jesus is preparing His disciples for His departure, says, when I go, I will send the Spirit and He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears will speak and He will declare the things that are to come. And we looked at that reality of John chapter 16 and understood that the truth comes from the Father. And it was spoken by Jesus Christ to to those apostles And it's the Holy Spirit who inspired those apostles. He breathed into those apostles so that they could record the message of that book in the New Testament as we know it. And it was entrusted to this select group of men, the apostles of Jesus Christ, as they recorded and went out and began to spread that gospel, the world began to, to, to feel the reverberations of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And from that time forward, there has been a full frontal attack on that gospel by the world and Satan himself. And we are called as the church to contend for the faith delivered once for all to the saints by the apostles through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, reminding them of the words of Christ the authority of God the Father. We see the Trinity involved in the communication of Scripture entrusted to these apostles and given over to the church. And as we reflect upon that that, that gospel, as we reflect upon that truth, there are a number of things in the truth that are critically important for evangelicalism today. So we spent some time simply talking about the inspiration of Scripture, all Scripture for those who, who want to think a little deeper this morning, all Scripture means all. It's perspicuous, isn't it? Everything recorded is from the Father through the Son by means of the Holy Spirit. To men who were moved and superintended by the Holy Spirit and wrote down exactly what God wanted us to know. Does it tell us everything about God? No. No. But everything that we needed for spiritual life and salvation, everything that we needed to live this Christian life contained in the pages of the book, it is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We proclaimed the last time we were together that because it is breathed out by God and it is very words communicated through the Trinitarian God, it is inerrant. It is without error. Christ prays in John chapter 17 following the text we looked at last week, 14, 15, and 16 of John. Sanctify and set them apart by the truth. And the Word is truth. In the cry of the Reformation, there were things added to the Scripture. There was tradition and the traditions of men in a negative sense. There was the magisterium of the church and and even papal authority. There's this notion that the church gave authority to the Word. Make no mistake, God gave the authority of the Word and delivered to the church through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God does not need your approval for what He's spoken in His Word. Thank you. We need to get past this. Well, I believe it, so that settles it. No. No, it was settled as soon as God spoke. And it was an errant and without error. We talked about it, it being sufficient, his divine power. Peter says, has given us everything we need for a godly life through, through Christ and, and the Scripture, those things given over to us, these precious promises. It is perspicuous. It's clear when it comes to faith. You cannot look at Scripture as the sole authority of faith and practice, the sole inerrant authority of faith and practice and not conclude that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. i are not preaching a system. We're preaching the Word. It is clear. Does it mean everything's clear? No, there's some things hard to understand. But when it comes to the truth of the gospel, it's clear. One of the things that we neglect sometimes in our understanding of sola scriptura or the, the inspiration of Scripture is that God preserved it. And He preserves it through the contending of the church to maintain the truth and to clarify false doctrine and, and to stand against false teachers with, with, the, with an understanding in, in a text in Psalm 119 that is all about the beauty of the Word of God. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away. My Word shall not pass away. The entirety of Scripture speaks to the glory of God and the gospel. So we come to this text in the book of Acts, and they take this gospel the nation of Israel, to whoever would want to hear, but particularly Jerusalem, to the nation of Israel in this, this, this budding church that God is developing, because the Holy Spirit was there to remind these disciples of the words of Christ. I'll remind you of the words of Christ when He sent them out. with this gospel. In John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love you as its own, but, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And Paul reminds the young pastor, Timothy, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not may be persecuted, will be persecuted. And we see in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and 3, a clear message of the gospel, and now beginning in Acts chapter 4, we see the persecution that is a result of the clarity of the gospel through Scripture alone and in Christ alone. Peter and the apostles have now ministered publicly on a couple of different platforms and many came to know Christ as Savior. After one of those addresses and preaching and teaching, Peter and John going up to the temple, chapter 3, healed a man lame from birth by pointing him to Jesus. And the spiritual leadership of Israel wasn't happy about it. And they respond to Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. They had done this miracle. They are now speaking to the people, having a a dialogue, if you would, with the people, this Peter and John, both publicly and privately, reflecting on what has been entrusted to them by God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as they're communicating that, they, they perform this miracle, and they're called to account. And those who call them to account are the priests, and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees who suddenly come upon them. The priest, therefore, the evening sacrifice, the captain of the temple, the chief of the temple police force, second in rank only to the high priest, and the Sadducees. The Sadducees who had a grip on most of the religious and political control over Jerusalem at that particular time. This particular sect of Judaism did not believe in any oral tradition, but only the written law. They denied the resurrection, any kind of future resurrection. They denied any kind of future reward. They believed that man was his own ultimate destiny, much of that preached in our culture today. More than anything else, these are the movers and the shakers. These are the power brokers in Jerusalem. And they're a little upset that these Galileans, these uneducated men are gathering these kinds of crowds. They're a little ticked off over all of this. And if that wasn't enough, they were preaching the resurrection And the Sadducees are being called out by denying the resurrection, so they take some action. In fact, it says they're greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, the very thing that they denied. They're taking it personal. Listen carefully. Everyone's got to take the gospel personal, everybody does. And they hear what these disciples, these apostles are saying, and, and they're greatly annoyed. They're incredulous at the content of the message that they were teaching the people about this Christ, in particular, the resurrection from the dead. They perceive this as a direct attack on their influence and their authority, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening, and they had this this custom that you didn't have trials in the evening, nighttime hours. Of course, they broke that tradition for Jesus, tried to do it in secret. So they throw them in prison for the night, They would try them the next day. That's according to, to Deuteronomy 25 when someone did a miracle in the Old Testament. Spiritual leaders would, would ask about the source of that miracle and if it was an evil source, they would stone and put to death the person who performed the miracle. But if they perceived it was of God, then they would do nothing. They're, they're, just, they're following the law, the Scriptures. The Bible tells us, many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, stop and think about this. The church has been in existence just for a brief amount of time here. This is not long after the resurrection. And 5,000 in Jerusalem church is a big, big, big number. And these religious leaders were feeling threatened. They didn't like the gospel. So on the next day, verse 5, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem in this this hewn out place in, in in the rock, the hall of hewn stone, to to question the source of the miracle done by these apostles, and it identifies particular people in the context of this. Anna, the high priest, interestingly enough, he wasn't the high priest at that time. He had been deposed by the emperor of Rome. He had too much power, and Rome was threatened by Caiaphas, the high, the high priest, the power behind the scenes in Jerusalem, and they replaced Annas with Caiaphas, which happened to be one of his sons. He was kind of a figurehead if you would. So, Annas the high priest is there, and his son, that figurehead, is there. And then it mentions John and Alexander. We don't know a lot about these men. Apparently, they were critically important. And then there was the high priestly family who gathered as well. All of the elites, all of the politicians, all of the theologians had gathered together to question Peter and John. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they would gather in a semicircle, circle and, and those being called to testify would, would stand or sit in front of them. You can imagine as they look out at these very powerful people who could do just about anything that they wanted, there had to be a little bit of intimidation to, to what was taking place. So they sit them down and they inquire, by what power, or by what name, did you do this? Do what? Heal the lame man, for the time being, they don't even talk about the gospel. They want to rob the apostles' credibility in the community. They want to take that away first. Who gave you the authority to heal this lame man? And by inference, they're saying, we gave you no such authority. Well, Peter's in a pickle, isn't he? What is this authority? The authority that people… Peter was speaking upon and acting upon, and in whose name the lame man was healed, possessed the intrinsic authority of God himself. He was God in the flesh. In John chapter 1, the first few verses, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him (coughs) was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot, will not, and will never overcome the light. That's whose authority Peter was preaching in. That's whose authority healed this lame man. That's whose authority gave this and delivered this gospel. So we read a little bit further on in in the Gospel of John. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Sometimes we take the incarnation of Jesus Christ and make that solely a Christmas celebration. But did you know that's an integral part of the gospel? That Jesus became flesh to bear the sins of… that's a critical part of the gospel. We can talk about that anytime time during the year, and indeed, they do. <coughs> the true light which gives life to everyone was coming into the world. And He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him. Believed in His name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And He was seen the glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Now listen carefully. When we talk about in Christ alone, we have to identify that Christ These religious leaders asked a really good question, and Peter now will give an even better answer. But who is the Christ that brings salvation? He's God. Who is the Christ that brings salvation? He is fully God and fully man at the incarnation. Who is the God that brings salvation? The very fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises culminating in Jesus Christ. Who was this God that was born in a manger? Who was this man born in a, in a manger, fully God and fully man, conceived of, of a virgin, critically important for the gospel? Please understand that, that the gospel has specifics that have got to be part of the presentation and understanding of that gospel. The problem in our culture today, just like back then, is who is this Jesus, anyhow? And all of those things define him. We've taken Jesus and turned him into this benevolent being and, and, and good teacher, but that's where it ends. And if that's where it ends, there is no gospel. So Peter's called to, to address all of this, and he says in verse verse eight. Remember, this is Peter who once denied the Christ. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's critically important. We are no match for the cultural elites. There is a a natural human tendency to fear. What might they say? What can they do? But Peter was filled with the Spirit. In obedience, he gave himself over to the Spirit of God. And Peter was a mouthpiece for the Old Testament Scripture. God would fill his, his, his words and his mouth with the truth that would sting these religious leaders who who were gathered together, and the truth was rooted in Christ alone. So he's in control and empowered and guided by the Spirit. He says, rulers of the people and elders. He spoke directly to them. They were sitting in front of them and boldly proclaims the truth. It says in verse 9, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means has this man been healed? Let it be made known to all of you. Let it be made known to every single one of you and to every person in Israel, to all the people of Israel. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God is raised from the dead. By Him, this man is standing before you well. There is only one source. There is only one truth. There is only one power. There is only one authority. There is only one Messiah. There is only one Christ. And I'm standing here telling you that all of this happened in Christ alone. Well received by the crowd, I'm sure. Ah, no. But they already knew this. If we were to go back into, into the book of Acts, we see that Peter's already preached this, brothers. I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He is underscoring the necessity and the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that was personally offensive to most of those gathered in this trial, for they denied the resurrection of a physical body. He pronounces in boldness, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And in chapter 2, verses 29 and 9, he said, let all of the house of Israel know for certain That God has made him, meaning Jesus Christ, both Lord and Christ, the same Jesus that you crucified. Can you imagine these men? You think they were agitated before? They must be ticked off. Who is this person? And who does he think he is? But Peter takes them back to their Old Testament. He takes them back to their prophets. He takes them back to their scriptures. And he said, You've read about him. It's been prophesied about him. You know about him, but I'm going to fill in a name and give you his name. His name is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's challenging them theologically, he's providing for them a clear gospel. There are some in the book of Galatians. And even some in evangelical circles who believe that there's two different Gospels, one for Israel and one for the church. No, there's one Gospel, and it is rooted in Christ alone. And Peter, in a masterful way, because he didn't have the New Testament, goes to the Old Testament and shows clearly throughout these messages, not, not just one message, but he builds on that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the, God, of the living God. And Jesus is the very reason that this man who was lame is standing before you. And it's his authority and it's his power. And to say that was to challenge their authority and their power. And he couldn't do it other than the filling of the Holy Spirit. He continues this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, the spiritual leaders, which has become the cornerstone. All of the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's a challenge to these spiritual leaders. He does what he does in chapter 2, the same Jesus whom you crucified. You did this. God has made both Lord and Christ. You rejected the truth of the Savior, but he is now the very foundation, the very key to truth, We find that in both the Old and the New Testament. In Psalm 118, it is clearly revealed. In Isaiah 28, it is clearly revealed, therefore thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation, and he is pointing towards Christ. Paul speaks of it in the New Testament. The church or the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone, the fulfillment of everything spoken in the Old Testament. First Peter chapter two, he, he talks about the living stone rejected by men. But the only sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, the cornerstone struck a chord in a note with these religious leaders. They knew exactly what he was saying. Jesus is the Messiah that you speak so much about. But they didn't like this Jesus. So there's a a problem now as to how they're going to handle this. We look into chapter 5 and 6 and 7. This is the beginning of a persecution, and the persecution is a direct result of what? Listen carefully. Christ alone. They'll have none of that. We're the authorities here. Don't don't give me that Christ alone. You understand how the gospel is so critically connected to Christ alone and and nothing further? He makes that clear. Not just in Peter, but he makes it clear in verse 12. And there's salvation in no one else. And he screams the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We live in a world that wants to, to create numerous paths to the Father, but there is only one. The Old Testament and the New Testament working together, are the same gospel, and that gospel is rooted in the promise of the Messiah and the old and the revealing of the Messiah in the new. But make no mistake, salvation is not in Israel, and it's not in their laws, and it's not in that magisterium of these religious leaders. It is found in the gospel, and it identifies Christ alone as the one who saved. There is no salvation in any other person. Clearly, there is no physical healing, but even deeper, no spiritual healing outside of Christ. For He had told them in John chapter 14, looking last week, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven. I want you to know that just as much as they despise that message, the world despises that message today. The real shame is the church has softened that message because they know that the world hates that message, but Jesus reminds these men, they hate the message because they hate Me. Because they hated Me, they're going to hate you because you're taking that message to them. It's being fleshed out now. Everything He spoke of in John 14, 15, 16, even into 17 that we looked at and and supporting this notion of sola scriptura is now grounded and rooted in Christ alone the only gospel the only savior the only saving is Christ alone there's no other road there's no other way there's no other gate but immediately i'm reminded of Matthew in the sermon on the mount where Jesus says narrow Is the gate and enter by that narrow gate. They would not hear. They would not listen. They wanted nothing to do with this narrow gate. In essence, as he begins addressing in the beginning and through this particular passage of scripture, he's championing the deity of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, the Savior of the world, grounded in the resurrection. And they heard and knew exactly what was being said. So, they would come back at a later time towards these same men. And yet again, challenge the very message that they were giving. And it was a message of Christ alone. There aren't two gospels. There aren't two ways. There's the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and salvation is in Christ alone. You say, we know all of this, Pastor Jim, but you need to be able to connect the dots to all the Scriptures, and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to stay on point with that Gospel, and you need to understand that the Gospel needs to be grounded in the Scripture, sola scriptura, and that Gospel can only be about Christ and Christ alone. And to turn this into you making a final decision about the Gospel is is not the Gospel, The decision has been made in Jesus Christ, and there's only one gate, and it's a narrow gate, and if you add anything to this gate, you're on the wrong road, for broad is the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate. Jesus identifies Himself in the Scripture, I am that gate, I am the door. There's one way to come in to the Father, and it's through me. As so we begin to, to recognize some of these foundational truths about the gospel that sheds light on some of the battles of the Reformation that are still being fought today, we know that there are false teachers her moneying that message today. We know that there are doctrines that reduce Jesus Christ from all of his glory as the fullness of God in bodily form to something else. There you are know, those today who will take the very words of Christ and distort them and change the gospel. We're reminded as Paul writes to this young pastor about the fight that he finds himself in. But as, as for you, when these false teachers and those who challenge the gospel come, as for you, O man of God, flee those things. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness and fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about what you made, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you, Timothy, Paul pleading in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, who in His testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time." For this Christ is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. It is in Christ alone. Peter makes that clear. And we have to make that clear. We have must address those who want to muddy that message. And rob Jesus of His glory and make this all about love and not righteousness and holiness and forgiveness and promise. We've got to get the gospel right. And I pray that you go back and look at these scriptures. I pray that you go back and reflect on some of these prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I pray that God equips you on the other side of salvation to understand the most important elements of the gospel so that you don't get it wrong when you tell people. He's not here to give you your best life now. He is here to rescue you from your sin. And neither is our salvation in any other. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever and ever. And God's people said, amen. Here's where we stand. Father, give us boldness and stamina Clarity and courage, filled with the Holy Spirit that leads to obedience, the depth of understanding about the gospel that we can communicate in its most basic form, as Peter does in this text and as the apostles do throughout the book of Acts, and remind us that in Scripture alone, Through Christ alone, the gospel always brings blessing. From early on, thousands and thousands come to know Him. The message of the religiosity of the day and and the person of Jesus Christ resonate with the people of that culture. Give us a confidence to know that it resonates with the people of our culture, too, because the power is in the message, and we have to get the message right. It is not in us, but in an us filled by the Holy Spirit that we tell the truth. When it comes down to who is healed and who is not, the authority resides in Christ alone. Remind us of that truth make us faithful to that truth, and keep adding to Your church until we hear the sound of the trumpet. Be glory and honor forever and ever to that kind of Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.